The biggest long-term side effect is the atrophy of the muscle, which we're actually trying to achieve. So it's uh, it's 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 the point of Botox injections. Now, on a man who has a beautiful square jawline because of their huge masters, it's one of the things that we have to counsel them and to explain to them, look, you're going to lose your Thank impressive you. jawline, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I want to get you out of pain and I also want to make sure that you're not going to need to, to have to have lots of restorations in the future. So, you know, it's jawline versus your teeth. And I'm always going to choose your teeth over your jawline. So you do have to explain that to the patient because, of course, it, it can get – we're creating – atrophy of the muscle so you're going to get that reduction you're going to get the facial shape changes now in a man that's not desirable in a woman that is desirable welcome to the protrusive dental podcast the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry clinical tips continuing education and adding value to your life and career with your host jazz gulati Hello, Patricia Rati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to the podcast that makes dentistry tangible. Today, we're covering a favorite topic of mine. Now, if you're new to the podcast and don't know me yet, it was the topics that confused me so much at dental school that I was drawn towards once I qualified from dental school. So that's things like occlusion, orthodontics, and temporomandibular disorders. Today, I've got none other than Dr. Sheila Lee on the show, who really is the best person to discuss the use of Botox or toxin for the management of TMD. I've actually wanted to get into this field, but for those who watch the videos on YouTube, does this look like the face of someone who is interested in facial aesthetics? Uh, I really didn't want to learn lips and eyebrows to get to the really important stuff like the masters. But Sheila is great at both of those things and teaches dentists like me who are more interested in the functional aspects like TMD and gummy smiles. So by the end of this episode, you will know which diagnoses, symptoms or patient features lend themselves to Botox. Now, this is really important because on the dental groups, I see Botox suggested in the word banded all the time, all over saying, yeah, refer for Botox or you can treat this with Botox. But really, not all TMDs lend themselves to the management with Botox. Now, Botox can help for temporomandibular pain, but you're not going to treat clicking and locking joints with Botox. You have to get your diagnosis right. We also discuss what regulatory requirements there are for dentists who only want to do Botox for the TMJ pain, uh, and the answer might pleasantly surprise you. And finally, we discuss the protocol. How many visits? How often? Is it something you have to do for the rest of your life? Where does occlusal appliance therapy come into it? Don't worry, me and Sheila have got you covered. The protrusive dental pearl for this episode is related to the muscles of mastication. Do you routinely check the masters and the temporalis at your new patient examination? If so, what are you actually checking for? As a restorative dentist, the most important thing I want to know that will influence which materials I use and the occlusal risk for my patient is the size of the masters. You see, large masters and temporalis muscles and a history of destruction and mechanical failure are features that I take very seriously when treatment planning. On the flip side, someone with very weak muscles, usually, not always, but usually, poses a much less of a parafunctional risk and I am more likely not to worry about lengthening their incisors, for example. So if you wanna learn more, Join the Facebook group, Protrusive Dental Community, because I'll be doing a little blog post on there about the significance of masters, temporalis, their size, and share some photos of patients with meaty masters and, and how in those individuals it's correlated with a higher occlusal risk and more destruction of their teeth. Now let's join the main interview with Dr. Sheila Lee. 
Sheila Nguyen, my old friend, how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jazz. I'm really, really well. Thank you so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here. And I'm really glad that I'm doing this with you today. Sheila, I used to see like all the you know BSPD, all the events and stuff. This is like, like nine years ago. We qualified roughly a similar time. Uh, and then, you know, we went our different ways in our careers. And it's amazing to see what you've achieved in the space you're in, in facial aesthetics. And uh, I, I love what you're doing. So for those who haven't heard of you, Sheila, tell us about what you do at the moment, but then then I want you to just take it back a few pegs and tell us about your journey into facial aesthetics, but specifically for today's podcast. I, I really, what I really want to know from you, Sheila, today is why is it that you, as someone who is doing wonderful things in the field of facial aesthetics, you decided that, you know what, I actually want to now also use this to manage people in pain because I imagine that it can be easy when you go into facial aesthetics to be like, oh, you know what? I, I'm happy to make people look pretty, but then I don't want to touch this stuff because pain is complex. Pain is difficult. You know, you're in a difficult niche if you're uh, helping these people out, right? But it's so rewarding. But I want to hear it from you. I want to hear about how you got into that. Was it an accident or was this planned? Oh, what a great, what a great question. So as, as, as you may know, dentistry wasn't my first degree, but even before I graduated, I knew that I wanted to be the very best dentist I could be. I was so inspired uh, also though by my best friend. She was a doctor training uh, to do, getting her BDS so that she can go do max facts. She was actually who trained me uh, in aesthetic medicine. And following on from this, I focused a lot of my energy on investing in courses and increasing my injectable case numbers early on in my dental degree. So quite quickly after I'd graduated, I absolutely loved that I was able to offer aesthetics alongside dentistry as a complete sort of option for my patients. But I really lacked confidence in my abilities. And I wanted to do aesthetic medicine as well as dentistry because of the joy that I knew that I could bring to my patients in improving their confidence. Right? You mentioned the sort of wrinkle treatments and, 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 and the facial treatments that I, I, I do. And, and that, that helps to improve their confidence because we know that we, as dentists, we can improve their confidence with their smile. It's one of the most important features of the face. But I had so many, this was early on in my career, and I had so many dentists and so many colleagues telling me that I needed to concentrate on my dentistry, that I should get good at basic dentistry before branching out to do anything else. And that actually, you sh I should be doing both things at once. And I was like, why? Why can't I do both? Who says I can't do both and do mm -hmm. it really, really well, mm -hmm. you know? So... I wanted to challenge that and that's what I did. I spent the first few years of my career investing everything that I had and then reinvesting everything that I made in my training. Well, can I just pause you, Sheila, for those who don't know, like I've seen some of your work, you used to post it on uh, like four dentists by dentists. You, you, you know, for those who don't know, Sheila's actually a really uh, competent, really good restorative dentist, by the way. Okay. So it, it's like hats off to you for, for then deciding that, okay, I'm going to go further into yeah. facial aesthetics. But you know, it's not like you were a below average dentist and you thought, okay, yeah. let me focus on facial aesthetics. You are a very competent restorative dentist. I am. I really am. And, you know, but, and that's it because pretty much I, I, I invested everything that I had and all of my time, all of my energy, both in facial aesthetics and dentistry. I did it both. And I demonstrated that it is possible to do both really well. You just have to, you know, to be able to provide that treatment to the high standard, both in facial aesthetics and in, in dentistry, it, it is absolutely possible and it can be done, but it takes time. It takes commitment. It takes investment and it takes energy and all of this is so much easier when you have someone in your corner supporting you and guiding you and that's one of the lessons that I've learned I've learned that that the hard way and it took me years but you know when someone's able to show you how they've done something it just takes so much time off of your plate and that's the reason you know for the last eight years I, I've, I've taught and I've worked in seven you know different places every single week I've learned from lots of clinicians you know sometimes I worked I didn't earn anything I went in just to shadow people and work you know nurse for clinicians and that Amazing. really allowed me yeah 
it, it's and I think that's where it should that, be. Is that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's the best way to learn. Actually, it's the best way to kind of get experience from much more experienced clinicians, and that's how I significantly improved my skills personally, uh, both from cosmetic dentistry, dentistry, and facial aesthetics. Just sidetracking a little bit, Sheila, on that, because you're mentioning all the things that you did extra that, you know, were you weren't being remunerated at the time for it, but it was to gain experience. I wonder if this also affected you. A common issue I find with our, our colleagues is that they want to up their game in a certain discipline of dentistry. And then a stumbling block they uh, approach is that they now need to ask their principal for certain equipment, X, Y, Z, whatever. And then they're like, well, no, not really, because it's not going to work as part of their business plan. And then that's it. They, you know, the, the journey ends for that for, for that yeah. associate or whatever. So did you have to go through the struggles of, you know what, I have to buy my own toxin or I have to buy my own facial aesthetic stuff. I have to buy my own like, you know, clamps, whatever you name it. Did you also have to have that struggle? You did. I mean, I did. And I did. I bought I bought my own soft flex discs. So there were certain ones that I wanted to use and they were too expensive. You know, I bought certain instruments for composites that, again, they were far too expensive. And actually, we were worried about things scratching. But you do you, you do these things because actually it's too short sighted to see that it should be an investment for the principal. And actually, yeah, it's really, really nice if they if they will buy those things for you. But if they don't, it shouldn't be the things that stop you from doing it. You've invested your time, your effort, your energy into going into these courses. And, you know, you need these tools. And without them, you can't do that. So it isn't it isn't a case of go on the course and then forget. But but also what I find really important is it's that post-course support, which you do really, really well, Jack. So like having that person hold you a little bit accountable, be there and support you and say, you know, perhaps you probably should take that next step. Perhaps you should, are you seeing enough cases? Because it, one part of it lies in the fact that you cannot, you know, m- not having instruments or not paying for the more expensive composites. But the other lies in the fact that too many associates expect their principals to find all the patients for them. And it's just, it doesn't work mm. like that in aesthetics. Um, and sometimes you do have to do a little bit of the way that you approach c- your communication skills with your patients. It's not just the, the clinical skills, it's the soft skills that we have to work on, the way that we talk to our patients, our communication, and how we talk and approach treatments and treatment planning for the patients as well. Um, you know, the yes, your principal can get a patient through the door, but the rest is then up to you as the treating clinician. So it's all of those things and all of those things, they come together beautifully to be able to allow you to practice dentistry to a really high standard once you've done done enough of the sort of the, the learning and the practicing. It's, it's just doing and seeing cases. And and, and and seeing the cases consistently enough to actually build your skills. And you made a good point there that, you know, a lot of people expect their principals to get the patients. So let's say you, you want to go into facial aesthetics, for, for example, and no one in your practice has ever before offered this. So you have to expect that already in the marketing of your practice, the marketing of your website, there's zero stuff on this, right? Yeah. So you now as the associate, perhaps, or the, or the principal who's acquired a practice or whatever, have to do some extra work to market to the world and to change the way that a practice communicates to the world that, hey, we, we, you know, we'd love to help you with this problem, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is what I tell my mentees all the time it's you know lots of dentists will tell you they've been on a course and it, it may this doesn't necessarily rely just in facial aesthetics they may have gone on for example a laser a laser gum contouring course or, or whatever it is that they've done you know and, and they haven't put to use what they've been taught and they've learned because they can't find the patients and they expect the principles to be finding the patients and, and that just a lot of principles don't even you know they're not they're not familiar with the field so you have to also do a lot of the work here you know social media is such a massive factor in, in a lot of these and patients are using social media as a way to, uh, for inspiration, 
uh, as as it were. And a lot of patients, a lot of my patients come from social media. And you know what? I hate social media. It's not it's not it's not enjoyable. It swallows up all your time. But you have <laughs> to do it. You absolutely have to do it. You have to do it because it's also social proof. Patients want to see that you exist, that you're real, that they can relate to you. And actually, if you're just yourself, then it's not hard work first and foremost. And actually, showing you your human side. Yeah. Yes, absolutely showing your human side. And then you attract similar patients that are like you as well, which are the easiest patients to treat, by the way, because then you can have normal conversations with them. So, so you do, you do, there is a lot of legwork to be done. And the associates that will be, or the dentists that will be successful in it are the ones that kind of take the initiative and they go and, and, and they do that. And so I did do that, I, I, as I said, but by doing all of those, I was able to improve my skills significantly and the confidence that I gained. And it's that confidence that, you know, when you tell your patients that you can, that this is what you treatment plan for you, for them, and you can deliver on those results, you know, that's when you're able to do it. They can, they can, they can smell it. Yeah. And you're not talking them out of treatment because that's often what we do. You know, we, we learn a skill and then we start talking them out of treatment because we, we're not too sure about whether we can actually deliver on that. And that's what happens, I think, I believe in dentistry as well. So, you know, it is something you have to invest in. And, and for me specifically with facial aesthetics, something I had to invest in outside of dentistry and then, you know, work away from the dental practice so that I could then bring it back into dentistry. But, you know, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love dentistry and I love facial aesthetics. But I did come to a bit of a crossroad after I became a parent and maintaining that momentum that I had and the successes that I built pre-motherhood was completely doable but after my children came along oh my god it took its toll and I had to make a really difficult choice and I chose to step away from more traditional dentistry and that's sort of you know that's that's how I've come to do facial you niched it's, oh, niching is a beautiful thing yeah. to do in dentistry it's, it's, it's such a yeah. wonderful thing and you know mum is the hardest job in the world so uh, <laughs> hats off to all the mums out there uh, you yeah. know working hard and achieving their dreams and aspirations and stuff and, and doing that kind of stuff uh, why is it that you went into also helping your patients with the um, myalgia and myofascial TMD, TMD uh, or TMD of muscular origin, wouldn't it have been really easy to just take a back seat and say, you know what, I, I, I like all the aesthetics stuff. Yeah. What actually inspired you to think, actually, I want to help people in pain as well? So, you know, it is, it, you're right. It, I, I still consider myself to be a dentist and I'm still part of the dental team. Yes, I do the more facial aesthetics, cosmetic side. You know, I get to make patients feel great, but I also get to work alongside my dental team to improve the functional muscular elements within the mouth you know like as, as, as we're going to go on to discuss managing tmd um and providing an alternative option to treating a tmd pain and migraines managing bruxism you know all of those things and the joy that you get when you really get your patient out of pain one of the things that we came to dentists to do right to make patients feel better and when you take a patient out of pain and you know they've tried we know with TMD patients, often it's, you know, if they're lucky enough to see the right person, it's they've, they've gone through a couple of uh, phases of different types of splints, different types of tr- treatments. They've done, you know, you know, by the time if they've come to you and they've done all that, they're already really difficult and they don't even believe in the whole system as it is. But when you actually get the diagnosis correct, you can treat them and get them out of pain. It's a feeling that you can't replace by doing cosmetic. You can't get that from anywhere else. And actually, I realized that, um, there's not enough dentists doing this as part of the armamentarium that we're offering patients. And I really, I believe that dentists can do this and they, they are able to do this really, really well because, you know, we inject local anesthetic every day. It's not different. It's just learning different, you know, learning the anatomy and, and, and understanding what your goals, and what your aims are. So I do believe that dentists should be the people 
the, the, the clinicians that offer facial aesthetics, but def- particularly functional. There's no reason why we, every single dentist can't. And that was, that's my goal. That's my reason for sort of branching now more towards training and mentoring only dentists to especially deliver this part of uh, functional facial aesthetics, using utilizing toxins to do that really, really well and supporting them to do that case planning and, and holding them sort of accountable, but doing it as part of an overall care plan for the patient, not in isolation, not by itself, as part of a full plan. I agree that there are some dentists out there like myself who have zero interest in facial aesthetics. However, I have a lot of interest in, in functional, restorative and, and managing TMD, which is a lot of what I do. And therefore, when I attended one of your webinars, you talked about <clears throat> two really great um, uses of Botox or, or toxin or botulinum toxin, if you want to call it, for the restorative dentist who, just like me, is interested in managing TMD was for Botox and also for the gummy smiles. And that was really, really great. I want to ask you, specifically focusing more on the on the masters and temporalis Botox today, mostly masters today, if you talk about, if you, you know, focus on one topic. Yeah. What is your ideal, I, I guess, case selection? So you know that the patients come in for a consultation with you regarding their TMD. What are the signs that a patient will tell you that, okay, I'm going to get a good result here with Botox? And uh, what are the signs that are suggesting that perhaps this isn't the right case for Botox? It's going to help the dentist listening to know, uh, A, if they don't already provide this kind of treatment, you know, where, at what point can Botox help their patient? But also whether they, they feel as though, oh, I actually, I see these patients every week and I, I could potentially help these patients. So please let us know about um, case selection. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We've worked so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. So symptoms, your symptoms, your patient's symptoms and what you can assess and see and feel with the patient will lead you to your diagnosis. And we know that TMD is one of the most common causes of chronic facial pain for the patient when it's not relating to, you know, the dental, the dentition itself. And, um, and we know that the etiology is multifactorial and we don't know why exactly uh, some patients experience uh, this pain and others don't and, and why some of patients actually just get, have TMD. But generally, it, TMD is classified into two different groups. We've got the articular and the muscular origin, and often sometimes both of these are present together. And it's the muscular origin that we need to treat when it comes to Botox. So that diagnosis is really important. So patients will obviously usually present with facial pain, and this is often the reason why they come to you for, for, for any patient will come and seek treatment, particularly from a dentist as well. And pain, particularly in the master and maybe the temporalis muscle, so they may complain of like headache, uh, a morning headache or headache at the end of the day, are the most common common symptoms that I will see and that actually is that that, that patients will complain of as well. So and, and often what you'll find is when you're doing your extra oral exam, when you're palpating the master, they might say, oh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Or actually I do get jaw pain. And uh, so what I find is it's usually pain on palpation. They'll they'll already complain of pain. They can pinpoint where the pain is for you. And then when you palpate the master, it will usually be discom- uncomfortable for them. Um, they'll be have some maybe have some pain on opening and which this may spread beyond the area as well. 
They also may have headaches. They may complain of headaches and they may have pain around the ear area. This could be close to the TMJ or within the TMJ joint itself. This for me is this where this is where I push and refer over because TMJ joint pain is more arthralda and that's not Botox here will not do anything. But of course, if there is, you may the patient may get pain sort of anterior to the to the ear. In this case, we're still looking at the superior portion of the master because it inserts just well, it originates on the zygoma, which is literally runs in line with your your ear there. And um, treating treating the master for these patients will help improve significantly their their discomfort and pain in the the area. We also know that as I as I mentioned already that a lot of cases there's a there's a combination. So as long as we can identify a muscular component, then absolutely um, I would I would approach with Botox um, alongside prescribing a splint for the patient i also find what's really useful is there's a there's a screening tool um free qtmd it's really useful at identifying the myalgia patients which essentially looks at pain in the temples the jaw the face and it, but also it's really useful for dentists who don't manage tmd and bruxism to aid their decision to obviously refer to colleagues who do and so when patients do have pain in any of the muscular areas the, the so Usually the masses, it's masses is the biggest muscle, biggest muscle of mastication. So that's usually where it starts. If they have some additional headache pain, then I may treat that. But often it's the master first before anything else. And I find Botox to be a really useful adjunct uh, to split therapy, obviously, in conservative management as it gives um, the patient a little break. And it does significantly improve their pain. We know patients aren't religious in wearing their splints. I'd love them to be, but they're not. And their compliance tends to be poor, especially when it starts to get a little bit better as well, right? So they, they wear it, it gets a little bit better and then they start wearing it and then it gets bad again. I've got videos after video consultations uh, or video testimonials of my patients saying, oh, it feels great. And I see them six months again. Uh, oh, I, I felt so great. I stopped wearing it. And then my pain came again and I wore it again. And I got, got that on video from multiple patients. So patients do get a little bit cocky. They get a bit complacent. Uh, yeah. And so, yes, that's another uh, avenue uh, to, to go by, which is, which is really fascinating, actually. Um, the, the thing I want to really emphasize here, and it's a great point you made, is that, uh, guys, when we're referring on for patients who you think may be a good candidate for Botox, if someone's main issue is clicking, locking, and yes. a very precise pain exactly where the condyle disc assembly is, that's an intracapsular patient, okay? That's not the kind that's going to benefit from, from from Botox. There are other things we need to do for that patient. The kind who's like diffuse pain all over, they kind of point everywhere. I'm, I'm in pain everywhere. That's more the, the one that lends themselves um, to, to, to having Botox. So just, that's a main sort of uh, takeaway there. Now, you mentioned about it being an adjunct to splint therapy and whatnot. In which order do you go? Like, do you, and this is just personal, because we, we, we are allowed to disagree. I think the best episodes when, yeah. when, when the, my guests and me disagree, and it's completely cool. But where do you see that in, in the hierarchy? Uh, I get a lot of patients who come to me and they say, should I have Botox first? Then I screen them. Okay, yeah, it's not intracapsular, it's muscular. Can they benefit from Botox? Yes. But then we have that uh, discussion. Okay, do you have an appliance? No, no, you don't. Okay, well, maybe we should consider that as well, or maybe even, maybe even first, but because they're coming to seek you as the facial aesthetics practitioner, and they already value the, the you know, they've, if they've sat in your chair, they've already done a bit of research, they value that this is going to help them, and, and therefore, that's a huge part in them them getting help from it. So do you ever give Botox as a standalone, and then maybe just encourage the splint? How does it work for you? So it, first of all, it depends where I'm based. So obviously, if I'm working in dental practice, for me, um, it, it, it can be done alongside the two. If they're in severe acute pain, then I may make them a NTI immediately because that will help. And 
I know that I can inject them with Botox and in two to three days time, it already start, will start to work. If they're in my chair because they've come to see me, I will always do the Botox first because I know in two to three days it will work. But the next thing that the patient needs to do is either see a member of the team for the full assessment and potentially well, and, and prescribing with this splint. We know that, of course, you, we've got to take the impressions and that's got to get sent off to the lab. So it's going to take time. It's going to take up to two weeks. And, it, you know, as busy as, as we are at the moment as well, it can take longer for that to come back. In the meantime, they're still going to be in pain. So the Botox can start getting to work whilst you start doing your splint stuff. So if I'm fortunate enough to be in dental practice, it's both. They, they will see me and they'll will see um, either a member of a team straight after or send them back to the dentist and have that. If they've already had the splint made, then they can still see me afterwards. Because remember, the toxin also helps to reduce that daytime clenching as well because they're not going to be wearing their splint during the daytime so that's where it can be used and if they're seeing me i'm putting it in straight away because i know that it will work start to work in two three days time and actually um they can then go and get their impressions and and the next stage of their plan but absolutely it's it's done as an adjunct the only time where i will not talk about a splint is if they're coming in for cosmetic reasons where we're trying to spin down their, their jaw our, our my primary aim is to preserve and protect the teeth and if they have tmd if they have bruxism we know that this can lead to uh, tooth wear tooth fracture and worsening the pain later on as well and maybe potentially in causing a um a joint problem so it's prevention it's always prevention and botox alone is only temporary maybe patients can afford to have it forever but most cannot so the the splint is what's going to, to ride them through and help to protect them so it, we need to be sensible about this we can't just be saying right botox is the answer for everything because it isn't and you, since you mentioned it, uh, how often, let's say we have a patient, uh, I made a splint on them. I said, you know what? You've got huge masters uh, as well as a splint. I want you to see Sheila. She, the, the patient then comes to you. You're going to do your thing and get their Botox all uh, um, hopefully smaller uh, and, and working uh, in not such a hypertrophic way, maybe maybe temporized as well. Now, how, what do you say to that patient in terms of frequency of uh, Botox need for the immediate sort of year ahead and also lifetime? What, what is the kind of discussions that you have? So that's, again, a really, really good question and a really um, important question for patients because you have to manage the patient's expectation. And my plan for patients is they need to be seeing me for the, the next year. If they don't intend to do that, I just don't start the treatment because it's not effective. There's no point in having one or two treatments because they're unlikely to see the long-term benefits. So it's three treatments, exactly three months apart, no break, maybe a fourth treatment at month nine. Sometimes, if depending on how hypertrophic they are, how much pain they're in and how much uh, reduction or, or atrophy we get from the first treatment that will determine whether they need a fourth treatment or whether we space sort of three appointments in a year or four appointments after this point if they follow the plan there will be a significant reduction in the mass to bulk and then maintenance is once every six to nine months because all you're doing is stopping you know it's it's not taking them six to nine months to get to that level they've taken what the time the patient presents they're around about their mid-30s right work's getting more intense uh lifestyle's changing maybe they're starting a family things are getting more more sort of it, it's a psychosocial element of, of of tmd that we're treating so then therefore once we've reduced the master bulk to where we want it to be then maintenance is every six to nine months or once a year and if that is the case and they're wanting to do even less than that they absolutely need to be using their splint so that's what i say and they also need to know it's so important that the patient needs to know that it doesn't kick in for at least a few days and there may be some balancing that we may need to do at around about two to six weeks also depending on the bulk of their muscles and level of pain i may do an additional dose at six weeks the first time we do it because we know that the muscle starts to recover from the bulk 
short of that six weeks. And if I think I don't even want it to crib, I'm going to go in and literally just whack another dose in there. That's what I do. But we know that Botox is safe and it's effective. And so, you know, we can do that, but we don't make a habit of doing that because we don't want them to become resistant to the Botox because then that's a nightmare and we're not going to be able to treat them. Brilliant. Um, I think that's the, that, that's a good and common question you probably get in terms of uh, frequency. And I, I didn't know that, you know, they can taper down to about, uh, you know, up to an annual. That's really good to know. What about those patients? Uh, and, and this is something that, you know, I'm, I'm very much coming to you as the expert here. I have some patients who have got myofascial pain, myalgia, but they don't really have the hypertrophy element. You know, they don't always need to have hypertrophy for them to have facial pain. Their muscles are in the, in the normal ranges. Would that patient still benefit for, from having Botox? Like you feel their muscles, they're not particularly large, but they got a clear diagnosis of myofascial pain, maybe got referral patterns, their teeth and whatnot. So we're kind of sure about a diagnosis. Um, do you think there's a place in, in treating that patient? Is that patient more difficult to treat? They, there is definitely still a place to treat them because, again, it's that spasm of the muscle that then now you're referring to and it's that overuse. Maybe it's early on. So what, what normally happens is at the beginning, when they're, when they're starting to overuse the masters and the muscle spasm, they're getting that pain, but they're not necessarily getting the hypertrophy. It's that repeated clenching that then grows the muscle, kind of like being at a gym break. It hurts more at the beginning when you're, when you're first lifting weights, but as you progress, it's, it's not as painful, but the muscles are really, really tight, aren't they? So it's exactly the same way. You'll know when, if you can palpate the masseter and you can feel, and, 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 and I, I encourage you to do this if you have masseter pain and you can almost feel the knot, you know, that sort of same sensation when we go to, after we've had a hard day at work and we've got really bad shoulder pain, we go and see the sports rehab and they, they literally dig in and they find a knot and they just really reduce it. You don't necessarily have to have bulky muscles, but if you find that knot or that spasm, it's you can like still treat. It's a speed treat. bump sometimes, as a max fact surgeon described it as once. Yes, you can. <laughs> But you can feel it. You can it literally. You literally can roll over with your thumb, and you know because as soon as you press in, they almost like just sort of move right into your finger, and they're they're so comfortable, and they're like, oh, it feels so good. And you're like, right, okay, I know that if I can look, if I can specifically just put a little bit of Botox here, it will allow them to rest and relax. Now. The alternative to this is that then they, they, they go and see someone, uh, they'll go see a physiotherapist where we can get some stretches and relaxing. They can do some jaw exercises. So yes, we can still put Botox. It, it still has a role, it still has an improvement, but the dosing that I would use in these patients would be less. And actually they, would, they wouldn't be on them as, as big a long-term a plan. They, it would be for more for me, with them more about education, potentially getting them to see physiotherapy, getting them to massage and do jaw exercises themselves and actually putting them down the route of some therapy because then that's going to be protective and hopefully help prevent that need for hyper, that need for sort of a long-term sustained treatment plan and this is where we may just do uh, a spot treatment of Botox to help relax uh, and give them a little bit of a break uh, and reduce some of that muscle spasm so yeah it still is effective but it's the again it's not the the, the the only answer here there are other things that we can do and actually if the patient just rested their jaw as well uh, gave them a little bit of advice to rest their jaw do some jaw exercises they're pro- you'll probably find that actually they'll be fine because it, it goes away doesn't it yeah it does and most of these patients need a, a, a team approach you know they need the, the yeah. education the appliance the whole conservative care therapy physiotherapy helps greatly for some people there's a postural element they need the chiro so uh, you know that's when it gets more and more complex and when, when you get chronic pain pain that's been there for more than three to six months you get chronicity and those patients become much more challenging so at that point yes they may then be seeing multiple people but that's sometimes what's needed when it's early on we want to get in there and treat them and help them sort of prevent them from entering the realm of chronic pain. Now, yes. Sheila, I want to ask you next, um, with general dentists who then decide to do facial aesthetics, I can see that, okay, you need to get some additional <clears throat> indemnity. 
I want you to tell me about what's involved in that. And is that is that true? Is there it's some additional uh, indemnity you need to get? But also, imagine I, uh, I I do some training with yourself, for example. I learn how to uh, place Botox into masters and do some lip repositioning. Would I get specific indemnity that covers me for just the functional elements? Does that exist? Because I, I can see that as being a really helpful thing if it exists. Let's talk about that first. Um, well, actually, let's talk about general facial aesthetics. You know, yes, you will need completely separate insurance to to do facial aesthetics if if that's what you're doing. But for dentists who are just interested in treating the functional problems and treating the disease, diagnosing uh, TMD and sort of hyperactive lip muscles, lip repositioning, no, you know, as dentists we're able to assess diagnoses and. If we're appropriately trained, we can treat them. So there is no regulatory requirement. Dentists just need to be appropriately trained and indemnified. That's the GDC expectation. Your your dental indemnity will ensure you to treat TMD, bruxism, and and gummy smiles because they do anyways. If you want to do some crown lengthening, you would be you'd be able to go back to your dental indemnity. It's the same here. We're not cosmetically treating these patients in a sense. We are diagnosing the the, the condition and treating it as a disease. And so. Well, you're absolutely fine. You're absolutely fine. You don't actually need separate insurance. You just need to let your 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 indemnity know that you're adding these treatments to your plan. There shouldn't be any issues because you're doing it from a dental perspective. You're not doing it as a mm-hmm. you know I'm a I'm a Botox. If, if I throw a curveball your way though, Sheila, if, yeah. I'm gonna throw a curveball. So I make I mean that, I didn't know that actually. So that's amazing. So if I want to do Botox, it's it's I'm treating it purely for functional reasons. That's dentistry. Yeah. So that's yeah. and, and that's how I manage my TMD anyway. But then. What you shouldn't do if you're that dentist now is start to see these patients for whom you haven't made a diagnosis of myalgia and myofascial pain, yes. but they just have big masters. And now you're treating large masters for a cosmetic reason. That's where it's a blurred line and you shouldn't probably yes. cross that, I imagine, right? No, no, you, you shouldn't. And so, and, and in which case you do need cosmetic indemnity for that. And actually still, you're, um, you can just have that added on to your, your insurance more than likely. Uh, just speak to your insurance company and they will indemnify you, but you have to be specific about what you're treating. And absolutely, you have to make, if it's a diagnosis, that's what you're treating. You can't be treating it for cosmetic reasons. If there is, that's a real blurred line. So you're right. Yes, you do need to get, just get advice, speak to them and they will insure you. Generally, um, the major indemnity companies will insure you for a simple Botox treatments anyways. Okay, brilliant. It's, it's another common question that I know people want to, to, to know. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just jump back on that though. The the thing that we need to be careful as dentists as well is that um, a lot of dentists are, are unfamiliar with advertising prescription medicines. So Botox is a prescription only medicine. We cannot advertise and market prescription only medicines. We cannot. We cannot use the name. We cannot um, advertise it. And I do find that many dentists fall short of this. First of all, because we call it Botox, it's, it, that, that, that's a drug. Um, and, uh, you know, on their websites, they, they will use words like Botox treatments for TMD. Um, and on even on their windows, I mean, when they're Botox advertising is the brand name, right? It's like, a, yeah. it's like a brand name, right? So we, we, yeah. you know, even this podcast episode, we should rename it botulinum toxin and not Botox, yeah, right? Should. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah we should. We should. <laughs> but we can't even say botulinum toxin because, again, it's still a prescription medicine. So you can talk about Botox and TMD, but you can't talk about Botox. And it's important that we understand that it's a prescription medicine, so we can't just advertise and advertise these services on our websites and things. It's really important. So, so how does how does one do it? Like, uh, I know people do wrinkle relaxing when it comes to can't uh, do that. You can't that, really. I didn't know that. I, I see that all the time. Okay, wow. So, so okay. So, how do you do it for functional, like, uh, and facial aesthetics, but functional? So, for functional perspective, we just talk about TMD, how we can manage TMD as a dentist, how we can, you know, what's really important is the assessment, the consultation, and the treatment plan, and being looked after. And you can talk about the different types of options that can be used, but it's it's all surrounding the consultation. Um, 
with regards to things like anti-wrinkle, unless you're offering other anti-wrinkle treatments that aren't prescription medicine, if if basically you're trying to get around using the word Botox, you can't do that. You just can't. Just because lots of people do, it doesn't mean it's right. You're not allowed to do that. And actually... Wr- wrinkle relaxing, is that a big no-no as well? Nope. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> okay, relaxing. Because I'm thinking of all my friends' practices who have that on their, on their front door. <laughs> nope. Because that that's obvious, obviously Botox. And you can't, on social media posts as well, you can't hashtag Botox, hashtag Botox injections or anything like that. You cannot use any of those terms whatsoever. You just have to talk about um, toxin. You just have to talk about the the consultation. Just for the, for the legal purposes of those listening, this is an educational episode. This is not for patients. This is for a d- discussion between two professionals yes. about the use of uh, of this toxin. Uh, <laughs> now, what percentage this is an interesting one? Um, my success rates in managing TMD. Uh, let's talk about that. Actually, they're they're not one hundred percent. No one no one can ever expect that from a pain oriented uh, condition. I would say that. In my general population of patients, i.e. my own general patients who I see, and they then and then I pick up the signs of TMD, but not necessarily the symptoms. I pick up the signs. I've got an extremely high success rate of them coming back and saying, whoa, I feel better. And uh, and like, whoa, like I never knew I was doing it so bad. And my headaches, my migraines I've had for 15 years are gone. I've got videos after video. But those patients who seek me out, who've been suffering with signs come first, then the symptoms come. So now they've had, they've gone beyond the signs. They've had yeah. the symptoms and they've been suffering for months, seen multiple specialists. And now they come see me. My success rates will be much lower. They're in the 70, 80% region, which is pretty much uh, like it is in the literature. So what is what has been your success and any trends that you've noticed in terms of, okay, Botox uh, or, or, or this toxin, uh, I don't know what to say anymore, toxin, helping you. <laughs> toxin. Okay, so... You know, when it comes to success, what's really important is getting the diagnosis right, isn't it? it? That's the most important thing. And of course, in my patients who have where myalgia is the oh, it's just the muscular component of TMD, they experience the best transformative results because Absolutely. they're usually the they're, they're usually the ones that tell me that I've changed their lives and and, and it's had the biggest impact on their lives. And that that's fantastic. And that's that's where you're going to get the best results. Where there is also a joint sort of arthralgia component then patients can expect a significant reduction in pain, but not a complete improvement in their symptoms. But it's understanding that these may coexist and understanding actually that you're, manage, you're, you're managing the pain. You're not claiming to try and cure them of pain and make them pain free and therefore managing their expectations. This is the reason why I would say that when it comes to muscular components, even if it's in addition to arthralgia, all I'm ever saying to the patient is that I would this, this will help to improve your symptoms and reduce your pain. You may start to have longer periods where you're pain through. You may not have headaches and wake up with jaw pain, um, but it's unlikely that this will completely correct all the pain altogether. Then my success rate is just there every single time because I'm acknowledging the fact that actually my goal isn't to completely cure them of their pain and make them pain free. And therefore, I'm never promising that. I'm always just promising an improvement. And that's the key. And that's, that's, the, that's the reality. Now, Talking about the difficult patients have gone to see multiple people, and you know they're not just getting uh, because I get I get now get the referrals as well because as as I do more and more of this, I'm getting more more of the referrals of the trickier patients. So these patients, you'll know, they'll come in and the pain is is generalized. It's not just on their face; it's on their neck. They're suffering from migraines because, of course, we can use toxins. They may also have depression, well. fibromyalgia, yeah, all the exactly. other things. It's it's, it's very complex uh, chronic pain patients. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and that's it. And in those patients, again, you may not even you may be able to improve their symptoms, but in that because they're suffering from all other problems, they're taking painkillers left, right, and center. They're on, you know, muscle relaxants, antidepressants. 
in those patients, a much less success rate. And But I already expect this and I know this. And I always say to them, look, we can try Botox because you've tried everything else and it might work. It may not work. It may not give you the result that you want, but it may be enough to just pull you back from the edge because mm-hmm. they're, they're really on the edge. But, but the important thing is that you've made the diagnosis and then you've made the a, a link to, okay, this is one way additionally to manage this diagnosis that you have uh, and and that's what you know keeps your confidence going that okay it's still worth giving go it's not like oh you yeah. tried everything and try it it's because they've actually got a diagnosis of myalgia based on your examination and history yeah and what i would say as well sometimes as well because they might come in and they might say look i tried botox it didn't work and often this is if, if there is a true muscular component this is likely due to the botox not being injected well or, or in the right you know, in, at the right depth. But often it's injected far too uh, superficially. It needs to be injected. The muscle's really bulky. It's really thick. It needs to be injected deep, almost on, on bone. You know, when you hit the bone, slightly pull back and inject. And so it'll, if, if it's failed in the past, I, I won't always be, that won't be my reason for me to discount treating them. I'll always say, look, let's give it a try. Maybe it's because it was injected in the right place. Maybe they didn't inject the right, you know, the right muscle. Maybe um, they didn't use as big a dose. Often I find actually we're, we're not using a high enough dose to treat. Uh, when it comes to TMD, when it comes to pain, for cosmetic reasons, completely different. But when it comes to TMD and pain, I've, I find that they need a much, much higher dose. And where a high dose comes, a bigger risk of side effects and adverse events happens. And that's why dentists tend to pull back slightly and, and, and under-treat. But patients in pain, they want they want the result. They're paying a lot for it. They definitely want a result. So, yeah, it may it may be that you just need to try again. We, make, we need to make sure we're getting the right muscle and we're injecting high enough but not so high that we're causing a complication as well. Mm-hmm. Have you had Botox in your master's, if you don't mind me asking? I have, look. It's coming okay. back. It needs more. <laughs> I remember you mentioned that on the webinar, actually. I'm a and clencher. Then, I'm a clencher. Yes, you said, I remember. Now, when you've had it, can you just speak from your first-hand experience? Like, what does it feel like to have it? Like, the day after, like, in terms of eating, what, what difference does one feel? So immediately after, it feels tight and sore because actually it's, it's, it's a stress. Your, your reaction to having any injection is to clench and make it even worse. So the trauma of having the, the Botox itself, it feels a little bit bruised, a little bit sore, a bit uncomfortable, but kind of, very similar to a really deep, intense sports massage. You feel a little bit battered afterwards. Um, But as it starts to kick in, you feel a sense of weakness in the muscle. Now, it's you do. There is an absolute reduction in your ability to bite very, very hard, chewy things. So I found around about day five to seven, chewing a steak felt really, really different to what it would normally feel. So I always, and it's really great, that I've had this because I can actually relate this and, and explain to the patient, look, around about five to maybe even 10 days, you might feel an intense weakness in your jaw. That's the goal. We're suppo- you're supposed to feel that because I'm just retraining your muscles to use your jaw muscles the way they're supposed to be used, not this hyperactive way that you are you have been using them. So you will feel some weakness. You'll feel like it's loose. That's probably the best way to describe it. Um, but you will get used to it. It only takes two weeks and you'll forget about it. It takes two weeks to adjust to that, that new sensation. And you can tell when it starts to kick in because you will wake up and you'll start to feel the tension again. Usually, I've had it injected in my temple, my, my master's. Um, you'll, you'll start to feel for me the tension headaches and the tightness in my jaw as as when i feel like i'm starting to need it again have you ever injected botox into someone uh, with a beard like mine yeah i wouldn't expect you to shave we would just make sure it's really nice and clean and um i and what's really important is that you need to be able to feel the muscles but yeah it's fine 
you don't have to shave that off. Fine, fine, good, good, good. Because I was thinking really I have got a well. uh, hypertrophic, yes, I have very hypertrophic muscle muscle. So you never know. I might, you know, I, 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 I've tried virtually most splints I, I teach about and talk about. And, and so if I ever go down the therapy, it'd be, it'd be nice to, to experience it, right? So, uh, and on that note, then, this is the final question I have for you. It just leads really nicely that, okay, if I have it, do you expect any uh, side effects, but then also any side effects long term? So the biggest long-term side effect is the atrophy of the muscle, which we're actually trying to achieve. So it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the point of Botox injections. Now, on a man who has a beautiful square jawline because of their huge masters, it's one of the things that we have to counsel them and to explain to them, look, you're going to lose your Thank impressive you. jawline. Unfortunately, <laughs> uh, but you know, I want to get you out of pain, and I also want to make sure that you're not going to need to to have to have lots of restorations in the future. So, you know, it's jawline versus your teeth, and I'm always going to choose your teeth over your jawline. So, you do have to explain that to the patient because, of course, it it can get we're creating atrophy of the muscle so you're going to get that reduction you're going to get the facial shape changes now in a man that's not desirable in a woman that is desirable but in a woman what they need to be warned about is if they've got any looseness and laxity of their skin they're going to end up with worse than and an older woman they may they may exacerbate their jowls which isn't great for women they they don't love that they really get annoyed if you haven't pre-warned them okay, about so that. it's like a turkey neck but the angle of the mandible yeah and so more along the jawline so it hangs a little uh, bit more uh, um okay. and that, that that doesn't happen in everybody it's more likely in patients with lax loose skin tissue older patients with skin tissues but and, and that's the long-term effects if you're repeatedly over-treating, then of course you're going to get beyond this. We're going to get excessive atrophy of the muscle and then really weak uh, patients are not going to be able to chew. That's that's not what we never get to that point because we always, by nine months in, we're reassessing. And then actually we're, that's why we're increasing our duration of treatment uh, time to six to nine months. The sort of short-term side effects that you can get if you don't place the Botox in the right place or if you inject it too superficially or you inject far too much of a volume or in the wrong places things like a asymmetry in the smile that's not ideal the patients get really annoyed um and you can't correct it the only thing you can do is go out and take the other take the other side out or you reassure and tell them that it's going to get better in six weeks time um and smile restriction as well if you've gone too forwards with the injections or you've injected too superficially you'll get some uh, some restriction sometimes they have to accept that if they're in severe pain i say to them look i have to use a big dose we, we have to accept that you may get some smile uh, smile restriction not asymmetry the restriction is something they feel not necessarily something they see they will feel that they can't smile as wide but usually to other people it's it, it's not something that's noticeable so the first time we may just accept it the second time we may modify it and reduce the dose depending on how much atrophy they've got but it's something that i can send patients for and inevitably it, not everybody gets smile restriction because of there's a muscle resorius and not every single patient has resorius but in some patients where you want to inject the full depth of the muscle really deep but more superficial as well then yeah they will they will to a certain degree have a restriction in their smile and that's something you have to warn uh, also a small number of patients i believe it's one in 300 have a uh, may get a headache following the botox treatments and it's quite a severe headache you have to warn them about that last a couple of days it seems to be only the first time that they have the toxin injection we think it's due to the relaxation or maybe the trauma from the actual injections themselves um, but it's quite severe and you have to warn them about that other than that all the other things really really rare so like toxin in the master but then they get a headache not necessarily toxin in the temporalis right toxin in the master we're talking about. in the master yes yeah. so in the master yeah, yeah as a as a side effect to that what what about um bone resorption is that something that worries you uh, long-term chronic use so bone resorption 
we're thinking about more to do with the fact that the patient's not able to, the reason for bone, bony resorption, it's, it's really difficult for the evidence when we're looking at this, because if we think about the bony resorption, that's happening anyway, that's an aging process. Every single patient will get bony resorption. So that's my, my first argument. The second one is, is that it's more linked to the fact that they're not utilizing and not having teeth in the back of their mouth. So that's going to exacerbate bony resorption. From a perspective of masseter treatment, for me, it doesn't make any sense that they would get bony resorption with overall long-term use because you're not completely taking away their, their ability to chew and, 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 and bite. You're just reducing that force. So there, for me, it's not a risk. And bony resorption happens anyway as we age. It's a natural part of the aging process. Okay, brilliant. No, I think we covered a, a lot of ground there. Uh, Sheila, if anyone wants to, to learn from you how to do these things or into facial aesthetics or functional, um, how do we go about doing that? Because I know I've been on, I've attended a couple of your webinars and stuff. Uh, tell the world of dentists listening right now how they can reach out to you and learn because you're such an inspiring teacher. You're so passionate about this. You've done the whole restorative dentistry and now you're, you've niched into it. Um, tell us where can we learn more from you. Thanks, Jess. So I do have a a, a functional uh, toxin course just for dentists to treat functional elements. Reach out to me, uh, head over to my website, mediject.co.uk, and you can fill in a form. Um, but I also have a quick guide to what we've discussed today as well. So quick guide to TMD management with Botox. So if anyone that's listening, you want a quick guide on the steps for assessment diagnosis, what to say to the patient, the treatment options, including the risks and benefits, head over to the website and just uh, send me a form entitled it Producive Podcast, and I can send you that 10-point guide just to help you uh, treatment plan. I'll also include the um, the little screening tool as well for those of you who don't actually do any treatments for TMD specifically, but you want to be more knowledgeable and refer onwards. That is a use, really, really useful tool that I find is great to add into sort of like your medical history form or your patient new patient assessment. It's really great for that. So yeah, it, it's great that someone on the dental forum for dentists by dentists actually commented saying uh, the post saying, "Look, I'm actually not interested in facial aesthetics. I want to learn yeah. functional." And then people are like, "Well, actually, with these other institutions, you have to do four levels first before you can do the functional bit." But it's great that you you know you recognise then the the value and importance of general dentists who are treating functional issues day in day out to add this to their armamentarium is is a good thing. And I, and I respect you a lot for for, for teaching this. That's amazing. Thank you, Jazz. Yes. And, and, and there is a need for it. There is a need for it. And it can be done really well. It's really not, it's really straightforward. And once you understand how Botox works, how, where the anatomy lies and what to do. And of course, you know, having somebody to support you, mentor you, make sure that you are doing things properly um, will mean that you will get predictable results. And actually, again, as I said, learning how to, un, you, you need to be able to prescribe and do, be able to make splints as well as part of this is one of the most important things. So, Or work with someone closely who does the splints yes, if you don't want yes. to do it, right? Yes, if yeah. you don't want to do it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. But diagnosis, assessment and diagnosis is crucial and you will learn all of that and I will teach you that and I'll guide you through that whole process. Amazing. Guys, uh, head on over to, is it Mediject? Mediject. So M-E-D-I-J-E-C-T J-E-C-T, dot co dot UK. Amazing. Fill in the form. Uh, T tell Sheila in her in her subject, uh, Jazz says hi or something or protrusive or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and yeah, get this download and, and start a conversation with Sheila. Keep in touch. And when the time's right for you, you should you should totally learn about these functional things. And you never know, you might even go to facial aesthetics. But uh, for those listening to this podcast, it's probably you clicked on because oh, someone's talking about masters. Let's, let's listen. So uh, Sheila, thank you so much <laughs> for giving up your time. I really appreciate. It. I know you're such a busy clinician, busy mum. It's great to have you. And uh, thanks. Also, we're going to be seeing you on our monthly grind on the sixth of July. So our monthly splint course. Uh, live webinar you're going to do specifically for, for the group of dentists who've done or are doing splint course and they know a little bit extra than the, the average dentist about TMD so we're niching down a little bit I mean we'll cover some yeah. themes from today but then some more specific ones and it'd be great for you to share some cases on that evening as well
Yes, I will do. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you, Jazz, for having me. Thank you, Sheila. Well, there we have it, guys. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. If you want to reach out to Sheila, then go to the show notes on the website. Or if you scroll down on your native player, sometimes, uh, for example, on Google Podcasts, it will, you scroll down, you see all the sort of text, all the links, uh, my YouTube video, etc. But if you're on a platform where you can't see the show notes, then I always advise going to the main website. You can even download and see all the transcripts for all the episodes. So for this one, it'll be protrusive.co.uk. That'll take you to the notes for this episode and the transcript at the bottom and a link to reach out to Sheila. And if you're a dentist who's already using Botox to help their patients with myofascial pain and TMJ issues, and perhaps you're looking to level up when it comes to occlusal appliances, especially if you're not already harnessing the power of things like B-splints and how to provide them safely without worrying about AOBs, then check out my flagship online course, www.splintcourse.com to guide you through that set of appliances, diagnosis, and everything in between. Thanks again for listening all the way to the end. And next time you see dentists arguing about which cases are suited for Botox and which ones aren't, send them a link to this podcast. Thank you again. <laughs>